Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. Merry Christmas. And that's for people right here in the room with me, people in beautiful Indiana, Pennsylvania, Christmas Town, USA, or Freeport, Pennsylvania, or the Petrolia Valley, and especially to our friends in India and the ones who are currently in jail, all worshiping with us together. And those in jail, I want to especially remind you this Christmas, we wish you weren't there. I'm sure you wish you weren't there. And you're probably thinking about your families, but remember, God is good. He's with them. And he's, uh, Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And he knows how you feel. So hang in there. And maybe next Christmas will be better. Well, we get to uh, <laughs> do Christmas once a year, they say, right? Christmas once a year. Christmas was always my favorite time as a kid. As a child, I never went to church on Christmas ever. We didn't do that. We were good at being bad Christians. We just didn't go to church much at all. And that included Christmas. And I know that wonderful thing about Christmas is people all of a sudden remember, hey, there's a God, and maybe I'll go to church and see what he's up to. Not us. <laughs> we didn't do that. But what we did do, and now this is a travel down memory lane, um, so it'll be, you know, for many of you, you didn't exist on the planet when I go down this lane, but I'm gonna go down there anyway. We had television. Now, it was nothing like your television today, young folks, um, where you can watch anything in the world whenever you want. Um, 8,000 channels and still nothing on. Can you believe it? We would have three if you're good. If you're doing good, you got three channels. If you can get the big ones, ABC, NBC, CBS, and that one way up high in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, depending on where you live, you were doing good. And it was always the same things every week, but at Christmas time, us little tykes, my mom would say, it's time for a special. Now, a Christmas special, that doesn't mean anything to you now, because a special is what you get at lunchtime at the diner. But for then, special meant somebody would come on the TV and say, we're interrupting our regularly scheduled program for this holiday presentation. And now some of you are old enough to remember that. And what a thrill that was, because we could watch a cartoon at night. Cartoons weren't sick and weird and twisted like they are today, back then. And they were almost always just for kids. And so cartoons at night. And uh, God, in his grace, can speak to a kid through a cartoon at night. And without question, uh, I was taught more about Christmas from cartoons than from church because of Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown was the king of Christmas for me. Grinch, he scared me. Now as I got older, I could handle Grinch. Um, and, and then there was the little drummer boy. Those are the big three before somebody came out with, with Santa Claus coming to town, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It was the big three. And, and of the three, Charlie Brown ruled the day. And I don't know why. We just love to see Charlie because little Charlie had trouble because he thought... He couldn't see why he wasn't happy in the season of holly jolly joy. Perhaps you're feeling that way. It's supposed to be holly jolly joy, and I don't have holly jolly joy. And there could be a number of reasons. For him, he wanted to find out the true meaning of Christmas. And I shouldn't have to tell the story, but I do, because unfortunately, there's so much better quality animation now. Probably some of you are being raised without Charlie Brown, which I think is, probably needs to be added to the catechism and Sunday school curriculum of every church. So Charlie Brown, he couldn't find the meaning of, even his dog was sold out to commercialism, right? And, and, and his dog won a prize for putting enough lights on his doghouse. And, uh, and, and so he decided he'd get involved. So he volunteered for the Christmas play to direct it. And of course, um, nobody liked Charlie Brown, so eventually he just got frustrated and he just shouted, doesn't anybody know the true meaning of Christmas? And here's me and my brother, you know, like four and five years old, five and six years old, six and seven years old, because we watched it every year, once a year, no VCRs. If you didn't watch it now, you ain't watching it. And every year, Linus would come out and say the same thing. I know what the true meaning, I can tell you what the true meaning of Christmas is about. And he'd walk out onto the rehearsal stage and he'd say, lights, please. And then Linus would say this, from Luke 
chapter two, though I didn't know it was the Bible at the time, he would say these words. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so he, he says, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. So Charlie Brown wanders off, having a contemplative moment or contemplative moment, however you want to say that word, and he's walking out there, and then all the kids, the kids all of a sudden have like a revival. They're all spiritual, and they go out, and, and uh, they, they, they take all the lights off of, of Snoopy's tri- house, and it looks like this. Their hand's just doing this. It looks like this. <laughs> then they go, and they put him on his ugly tree. It looks like this. And then his tree looks beautiful. And then they all sing, Hark the Herald Angel Sings, which is a very good Christmas hymn, right? The gospel's right in it. Gospel is on television. I didn't know it was called the gospel. Linus was exactly right, and I thank God for that grace. But did you know the story began really 740 years before the moment Linus read about? 740 years before the birth of Christ. And that's where we want to go back to today. So we're going to go farther than Linus went to the prophet, excuse me, a hair, to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was one of the great prophets of Israel. Uh, if you have a, a Bible, and hopefully all of us have a Bible, you'll notice he's, he's got most of the words. You know, in his book is a big fat one. It takes a long time to read it. He was one of Israel's greatest prophets, partly because he preached for so long, but also he was a prophet of doom. You know prophets of doom? The guys who come out on the sidewalk and they have a sandwich board that says, the end is near and you're all gonna die. That was Isaiah. But he was also a prophet of hope. Hope. As far as his doom goes, let's deal with the doom first. God, at the time of Isaiah... 740 years before Christ, was engineering, God was engineering the destruction of Israel. Now God is friend of Israel, he's the founder of Israel, it's his nation, but because they refuse to worship their God, they wander off into great sin, God is going to destroy them. And so he sends Isaiah to warn them, knowing that they're too self-indulgent to repent. Right, just like nobody repents because the guy on the corner says the end is near. Americans don't repent unless something hurts. <laughs> and that's what they, what they were like in Israel. So he raised up Isaiah to go and be a preacher of doom. It's a thankless job. Out of all the jobs you can have in ministry, you don't want Isaiah's job. For a very long time, he's going to bring a message that no one wants to hear and no one will listen to. And here's how God called him. He said this, Go, Isaiah, and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Go to these people and say, You got the word of God, but you ain't listening. Y'all can't hear me. Y'all can't hear me. (laughs) You can see it, but you can't see. You're blind. Right? Ray Charles can see this. You people can't see this. That's what he's preaching. Make, God says to Isaiah, make the heart of this people dull. Make their ears heavy. Blind their eyes. With what? With preaching of the truth. Put the truth in their eyes and make them blind with it. Lest they hear, see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Go make them blind with the truth. How long do I have to do this, Lord? How long? 
He said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, houses without people, the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes the people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. That's how long. Keep preaching until I bring the destruction I have, I have designed for them. This is, I mean, this is not a success factor. You know, who wants a job like that? It's like, go. It's like, it's like being coach of the Browns, right? <laughs> Just go coach them. How long? Till they fail forever. Well, that's all they're ever going to do. Keep coaching. It says, though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again. He's going to tear out the nation and leave a tenth. Keep that in mind. But then he'll burn that tenth again. So what is he saying? What is this doom? Why would God send a prophet to a nation so that they can ignore him? So they can not hear? God is increasing their guilt. They're already guilty. But just in case you ain't guilty enough, I'm gonna give you another chance. I'm gonna send you this prophet and he's going to preach and preach and preach so that on the judgment day, his words are against you too. And that is what God is like. He was a prophet of doom. Did the doom come? Within a couple decades of Isaiah preaching, a nation called Assyria came down from the north and they swept away all but one tribe. Right? All the land. There's 12 tribes of Israel. They all lost their land except one. And the Assyrians would have taken that one, but they ran out of steam. And militarily, God turned them back from Judah. All the others, so there, one-tenth is left. Just like he said. So then what did, what did Isaiah do? He kept preaching. He preached for 40 more years. And after a while, they got, after six, about 60 years, they got tired of Isaiah. Well, is that old guy still telling us we're all gonna die? Somebody get a saw and cut him in half, and they did. Then a few decades later, the Babylonians came in from the east, and they took care of Judah. And that was that, just like God said. So he is a prophet of doom. Ironically, he's also a prophet of hope. If you ever listen to Handel's Messiah, and I would recommend you listen to Handel's Messiah. I recommend you dedicate a Christmas season to it. Maybe next season, because this may be too late. Even if you're not a classical music person. I am not a classical music person, but there's enough culture that you get out of that, because they actually sing it in English, and it's all scripture. And most of it comes from this prophet. You could almost call Isaiah the Christmas prophet because he's always talking about happy things. Because God is a God of hope. And though he brought his punishment down on Israel, he will bring his salvation to Israel too. Isaiah speaks more of the coming Messiah than, than anyone else. Chapter 9 of Isaiah is a very hopeful chapter. And right in the midst of it is verse 6 where we see this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. This, go, now fast forward 700 years to the angels. They show up to see a bunch of sloppy shepherds, minimum wage workers. <laughs> they don't show up to the kings, they don't show up to the priests, they go see the shepherds and they say, hey boys, what? In this day, in your midst, it's fulfilled. A child has been born. The Savior is given. And he's referring to this. So it's worth our time this Christmas to look at seven verses from that same chapter to see how God described the Christmas child and what he would do from the mouths of the prophet of doom, if you will. Way back in Isaiah 9, he says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. It's the picture of, you've been tortured by me, says God, for your sin, but I'm gonna cheer you up. And by the way, as a side note, anguish comes to every human life that lives long enough. There are seasons of anguish. I want you to know God is always bigger 
than that anguish. He always outlasts that anguish. And for the faithful, he always lifts you up out of that anguish. And he does that for the whole nation here. He says, there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought in to contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. This is geography, and I don't expect you to know Middle Eastern geography. <laughs> um, but what, where he's aiming for is the northern part of Israel, which the Assyrians, according to his prophecies, are going to wipe out. And they're going to populate it with Jews, yes, but Gentiles, all the nations will be there. And he says, that area, which I'm going to beat the tar out of first, they get the Assyrians first. They're going to be glorious. Something's going to happen in Galilee. And we know, we know that we're talking of Jesus of Nazareth of Galilee. And then we see this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. This is of the Christ. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has light shone. You see, because the northern part of Israel is the part where the Gentiles came and lived. Gentiles are non-Jews. After the Assyrians came, the Gentiles never left, even when the Jews were back. They lived in darkness, but on them Christ has shined the light. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy of harvest. So now a nation that's as happy as you are when the garden comes in. They're as glad as when they divide the spoil. I've never divided spoil. If you've got some spoil and you want to share it with me, I will gladly divide it with you. But that makes them happy. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor you've broken. That's the picture of a, of a slave carrying wood on his shoulder so he can carry a burden on both sides and the Savior comes and he breaks it off. And the guy goes, wow, this feels good. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. <laughs> okay, no more war. Nobody killing you. We won't need that. Why? For to us, hear the words again, a child is born. The child is the instrument that leads to ending of war, ending of the slavery, ending, ending of your sorrows. <laughs> but th this is going to happen because a child is born. Because, and he's a boy. He's a boy. In an age when people live in the foolish area where they don't think you know what a boy is or a girl is, or it doesn't matter if you are a boy or a girl, this is a boy. He's a son. Now, we think of Jesus, and we laugh about the baby Jesus. If we watch Talladega Nights, he always prays to baby Jesus and all that silly, silliness, which can be funny, right? It's funny. But he doesn't stay a baby. The angel said to the shepherds, a baby is born. That's your sign. But look what it says about the baby. The government shall be upon his shoulders. If there's anyone I trust to run the government, it's Jesus. If there's anyone else I trust to run the government, I haven't met them. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. His name shall be called Mighty God. His name shall be called Everlasting Father. His name shall be called Prince of Peace. This son, this is, this is why there's joy in Israel, or supposed to be, this is what the angels are saying. Cheer up, boys. Well, it smells like sheep droppings around here. Things are about to get better. Son has been given. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be what end? No end. Jesus' reign is eternal. On the throne of David, he is the son of David. Through both Mary, his blood mother, and Joseph, his surrogate father, so he's the rightful king, and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. What's going to accomplish this? The zeal of the Lord of hosts. God's own passion. Have you ever been in a situation where you just can't wait to do a thing, and you're going to do that thing because you want that thing done? I'll die, but I'm going to do this thing. And it, 
You're lucky if you have a passion like that. You, you can live a good life if you have a passion that's so bright, you'd say, I'm gonna do this thing. God looks at the earth in its suffering and he says, I am going to bring redemption. All right. So the Savior of Israel who ends war and shines lights to the nations, that's how he starts out, right? He arrived. That's what the angels are saying. Fear not, lowly shepherd. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The Messiah, the anointed one, that's what Christ means. Lord, he's God. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You know, we sing that song, Come Thou Long Awaited Jesus. 740 years before, in fact. So, if a son is given, what's that make the son? He's a gift. He's a gift. <laughs> He's a gift. The, the whole reason why I like gifts on Christmas is because it reminds us that we receive goodness from God. He's a gift. Was he received? Well, yes and no. He was a gift to Israel to bring them to a, uh, an everlasting kingdom of joy. Is Israel today an everlasting kingdom of joy? No. No, it hasn't been that at all. Why is that? Because Israel re refused to receive the gift God gave them. Now, some did. All the first Christians were Jews. All the Bible writers were Jews, right? The apostles are Jews. But the majority said, no, we don't want the gift. God anticipated that rejection. God anticipated that the gift he gave on Christmas would be rejected. He prophesied that, that their king would come riding into town on a donkey and be rejected that week. But Isaiah, the same prophet, about 40 chapters later will say that that servant of God will bear the sins of Israel on him. To put it as plain as I can, if Israel doesn't reject, reject Jesus, he doesn't die for the sins of the world. God's plan to save us was that he would be rejected. So that when he, the innocent Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world could die, your sins could be paid for. And so could all the Jews' sins be paid for. The cross is the plan to save Israel. Now only God could think that up. Jesus died to satisfy God's anger at sin. Jesus died to satisfy God's anger at sin. You know, we have a complex relationship with God before we come to know him. He loves us, he cares about us, but he also, we're wicked and he hates our sin and it makes him angry. Jesus' blood is the only thing that can satisfy God's anger at the sin of a man, woman, boy, or girl. There's nothing else. Nothing else. No religion you can do, no good deeds. He died, he rose, and he ascended into heaven. Having paid the price for sin, he ascended into heaven, and now we again are waiting. And not just 740 years, it's been 2,000 years. We are waiting for the same one to come back to earth again. The first time, wow, Jesus, you made an impact. You cut our calendar in half. Everybody knows you. Everybody in the earth knows you just about. Knows they know who you are. Books are written about you. Nations are changed about you. People's philosophies are changed because of you. No man has ever made an impact like you. And all you did was live 33 years and die and raise. <laughs> What's it going to be like when you come back the next time? Second Christmas. Second Christmas is going to be awesome. <laughs> but here's history's lesson. When Israel rejected their God, what did his followers do? When Israel rejected her God, what did the apostles and all the other believers do? 
according to the scriptures, they were instructed to go and make disciples of all the nations. They were to take the Jewish way of salvation, the blood of Christ, and give it to all those living in the dark pagan nations. Did the nations receive the gift that the Jews rejected? Well, yes and no. We're here. <laughs> We're here. I'm glad I'm here. Don't want to know what my pagan relatives were doing in A.D. 33. Probably worshiping some tree and <laughs> sacrificing strange things and cutting themselves. And I'm here. You're here. Christians throughout the ages from all nations have come to him. But the nations themselves don't honor him. Oh, you can get a godly leader once in a while, one of the group of leaders, and they are there for a moment and they're gone. But nations that truly honor God are non-existent on the earth. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and plot in vain against God? So the nations are no different than Israel, are they really? They've rejected the Savior of the world too, haven't they? Haven't they? If you go to the United Nations and they start it with worship of Christ, does any of them even suggest it? Hey, there is a Savior. This is the world. We are representing them. How about we worship Jesus? How do you think that's going to go? The world needs a Savior now more than ever. Here's the wild thing. The nation knows about Jesus. Now, uh, we believe, by the way, at Harvest, if you're a guest, that there are unreached people groups of this world who need people to constantly plant churches among them. We believe the answer of Christ needs to go out to the unreached. But as a whole, you'd be hard-pressed to find a nation that has never heard of Christ at the top. <laughs> the United States has heard of Jesus. The local government's heard of Jesus. Which local government? Pick your town. State governments have heard of Jesus county governments, the national government, the whole world. People at work have heard of Jesus. People who govern your employment, people who govern your school, they've heard of Jesus. Most of them don't care. He's right in their face. They got to sit around debating whether or not they're allowed to use his name on the holiday. Can we say Merry Christmas? They know he's right... Seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear. <laughs> He's right there. In this world, we have reached a place in the history of mankind where the idea of godlessness has taken over. Where the vast majority of people in the world do not think a God is needed. Why? <laughs> what do you think is going to happen to, a, to universities, to, to, to politicians, to people who make decisions that impact all of us, if those people don't believe in absolute truth. Do you know what truth is in our society today? It's whatever I think it is. And anyone I can influence, well, then they can agree with me. That's where all the lunacy comes from. The lunacy doesn't come from a, a boy who thinks she's a girl who wants to run on the girls' track team. The lunacy comes in that the entire society doesn't know what to say. <laughs> That's the lunacy. Don't make an enemy of her. She lives in a nation or him. To him, trying to be a her. She lives in a nation where truth means nothing at all. It means, well, it means whatever I want it to mean today. But mankind was made by God in the image of God, and he does not function well unless he has truth in his innermost being, and you will see his fangs if he does not. Pandora's box is open in a thousand ways. And people are suffering. And people are hurting. And people who need answers go to places that give them answers and the answers are stupid. Because people need the Lord. 
People need Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he's there. Probably you're here because you know that or you've heard that. Some of you are committed to that. Some of you are not. But relatives bring you on Christmas. So, okay, here I am. Try not to hit me too hard, preacher. Because after I leave here, I ain't come back. Okay. People need God. You need a solid place to put your feet or you go insane. You know, Nietzsche is not the devil. He was a philosopher. He was wrong, but he's got a lot right. He said, there is no God. We have killed him, and now insanity comes. Now, that's the Cliff Notes version, of course. That's what he said. People need Christmas. People need Christmas. <laughs> because we all, not just those, those Jewish shepherds on a hillside, we all need Jesus. We all need redemption. We all need light to lead us through this darkness. And you can get that light right here in a country church. In Indiana County, in Butler County, in Armstrong County, even if they don't get the light in New York City or Harrisburg or Washington, D.C. Because God delights in speaking to us children what the wise don't listen to. Isaiah said again, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. Headhunters have heard the gospel and stopped cutting off heads. Good thing. Cannibals have stopped sharpening their teeth and chewing on people. Good thing. The Vikings stopped worshiping Odin. Good thing. You know, those who sit in darkness. And here is Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, the Bible in the New Testament connects us to Isaiah. Look what it says. After leaving Nazareth, Jesus went to live in Capernaum by the sea. That's just a town, a little, it's in Galilee. In the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali by way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them the light has dawned. Jesus lights the way of home for those Gentiles up there, just like he does the Jews. And here's Matthew saying, this Jesus, when he came, he was satisfying what Isaiah said. God's word is always true. So Christmas is about hope. Christmas means it all ends really good. They're not going to have war. We're not going to have disease. We're not going to have death. We're not going to have sorrow. We're not going to have fear. We're not going to have pain because of that baby. That's hope. Christmas is God's expression of love. If you said to people, how do you know God loves you? They can say all kinds of things. You know, go out with your little microphone on the streets, act like you're there, Oprah sent you or something. They'll talk to you. Oprah sent me. If you say Oprah sent me, they'll talk to you. How do you know God loves you? Because he gave me my family. How do you know God loves you? Because he made ice cream. How do you know God loves you? Blue skies, apple pie. That's all true. But that's not the main way he shows he loves us. Look again. And see Christmas in this familiar verse, in case you missed it. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. His love is expressed in the fact that he came down onto earth as a man and laid down his life to die for you. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So baby Jesus is the gift. He is the gift. Jesus isn't here to show you the way. He is the way. He's not here to show you how to make a light. He is the light. He laid down his life. Now listen, his, his blood, is his life is the price of redemption. Redemption, we often use that word as if it means revenge or a second chance to get it right. And it can, you know, a word can mean anything we say it means. But that's not its root meaning. Redemption means you blew it, somebody paid. The way you redeem is you pay. 
You pay the debt. There's only one way to stop the anger of God towards you. And that is the blood of Christ shed for your sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Which means, listen, he is the only possible Savior. He is not a Savior. He is the Savior. Christmas is about the only Savior of the planet. No one else is going to do it. No one else can do it. You see, because he's more than a man, he is mighty God, everlasting Father. And therefore, and here we come to you, he is to be worshipped. He is not to be known about, he is to be worshipped. He's not simply to know that Linus said correctly that he's the point of Jesus. What no one told five-year-old me and my brother Max was he is to be worshipped because he is the only God and the only Savior. The wise men, why did they come see Jesus? They just had leftover gold and frankincense and myrrh. It's like, what are we going to do with this crap? I don't know. Give it to the Jewish kid. No. Go back and look in the Bible. You'll see it said, we want to go and worship him. Herod said, tell me where he is. I'll worship him too. And it said, when they found him, they worshiped him. You don't worship a man. You just don't. Or a woman. You worship a God. And he is God as well as a man. The apostles worshipped him. When he rose from the dead, they worshipped him. So here's the problem. Many people today, maybe listening to me now, know this story of Jesus coming to earth. But they don't worship him. Why would people all over the United States know of Jesus, have heard that he died for the sins of the world, still not worship him? The answer is they prefer darkness. And this isn't my answer, this is Jesus's. Listen to what Jesus says in John 3. He says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, that's Jesus. And people love the darkness rather than the light, why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So Jesus has given us an example, an illustration, that we can all understand. He's saying, look, if you do bad things, you do them in the dark. If you do good things, you do them in the light. Right? And, and every human hearing my voice, who understands English, because there could be newborn babies, <laughs> and myself included, have loved the darkness when we've done evil. True? When you're doing sexual evil, drug evil, stealing evil, stabbing someone in the back evil, conspiring against someone evil, you don't want anybody to know. Every one of us here has secrets that we want kept away in the darkness. Where we, everyone here knows that if everyone here could know the things they don't want us to know, they'd be ashamed. Because we do evil in the dark. <laughs> we do evil in the dark when the light comes on. And that's the illustration he's using. Everyone who does wicked hates the light. He's right. Humans know what this feels like to hate the light. We all have secrets. Humans, are, are, we look good on the outside, but inside we're like cockroaches. Now, for those of you who've never lived with cockroaches, I'm sorry you've missed a great experience. It happens on a regular basis if you grow up in Florida. You've got to kill them suckers all the time. But you don't know you have them in the daytime. You know you have them in the middle of the night when you flick on the light to go to the bathroom, and you go, wow, because <laughs> they're running everywhere. They hate the light. That's what humans are like. We look good on the outside, turn on the light, and we run. Well, he's using that illustration to say, this is why people don't come to me. I am the light of the world, Jesus is saying. If you come to me, guess what's gonna be? The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Nothing is hidden from the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So Jesus can see it all. Well, I don't want to see Jesus then. 
That's why people don't come to him. You see, to have a true conversion experience and not just play church means to come to the light. And there's shame involved in that. Now, in our society, we have been taught that shame is always evil. That's what the psychological world teaches us, and they're wrong. False shame isn't any good. Maybe shaming other people isn't any good. But shame is the gift that keeps on giving (laughs) if it needs to be there. Some people ought to be ashamed. Maybe they'd behave. Coming to Christ has shame. Coming to Christ has humiliation. Coming to Christ can have embarrassment. Because as an individual, come to Christ and say, I'm not asking you to accept me based on what I've done. In fact, you know what I've done. But then when you get there, here's what you find out. He says, I've died for that, which may cause more shame. So I'm responsible for the cross? Answer, yes, you are. You are too. Back when Passion of the Christ came out many years ago, there was big arguments whether the Jews were responsible for the death of Christ or the Romans. The answer is always the same. We all are. You don't sin, he doesn't have to die. Your righteousness is on display right there. You think you're good? How come a naked man had to die for you? How come the Son of God had to die for you? And he says, I did that to take away your shame. Well, then the response is, well, you, you probably don't want me around then. Look what I cost you. And his response is, my love for you is so great that it doesn't matter. I'm washing all your sins away. And you know how far away I'm gonna throw them? Let's take the east and throw some of them that way and the west and throw some of them that way and just let them run. Got a sea with no bottom? Let's throw them in there. They're all gone? All gone. Everyone erased. So that means we all have a choice. We can continue, we all start out loving the dark. We can continue to love the dark or we can join him in the light and be saved. Now I want to talk and say if you have joined him or will join him, if you'll come to Jesus and worship him as your God, he'll wash your sins away and get this, he, he takes your darkness away and makes you light Now, those are figures of speech, but I can't explain them. But I can tell you, listen to Ephesians 5. It says, at one time, you were darkness. You were darkness. Some of you, well, I know he saved me because I chose him first. You ain't all that in a bag of chips. You're darkness. You're Satan. But now, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Jesus makes the filthy clean. He makes the wicked good. He makes the guilty innocent. You never have to be ashamed of your neighbor in Christ because God has made him or her clean and he's made you clean, Christian. I think more than anything else, we as a people underestimate the grace of God and the, the level to which he has forgiven us at every second. You are not a Christian with some clouds. You are light. His blood didn't just wash away a little. You may wrestle with the world, the flesh, and the devil, but you are clean. There is no stain on you, no stain on you, nothing right now, gone. Every bit of it. That's what the gospel says. So why doesn't everyone worship Jesus? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I went a lot of years knowing enough, and I didn't worship him. I don't know why. When all of a sudden I did, I ain't sure why about that either. But now looking back, I think, why doesn't everyone worship Jesus? I don't know. People, you could show people a bunch of prophecies in the Old Testament, and they go, why don't the Jews all believe in Jesus? And I think, why don't the Gentiles? I don't know. But Jesus actually gives us an answer that we can work with. Why doesn't everyone receive the gift of eternal life? Here's the answer. People love the darkness rather than the light. If you have someone in your life who knows the gospel and they're not coming to Christ, and you wanna know why, here's why they love their sin. 
Now, don't come up with sympathetic reasons and psychological reasons. They're not coming to Jesus because they love sin more. Period. That's it. We all love sin more, and then we came to Jesus. They love sin more. They love darkness more. I'd rather just blank than worship him. <laughs> I like what I live, do. I don't want to worship him. When you come to Jesus, you have to give up something you love. And I'm not talking about your teddy bear, your puppy, your best friend. I'm talking about your sin. Your relationship with sin isn't, oh, I hate this. Oh, it, can, it, it has chains on you. You're enslaved to it. You can't get away from it, but you still love it. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. There's your answer. I don't know why. Jesus knows why, and he says that's it. That's what was holding me back. Salvation is a gift. It's not a right. No one is entitled to the benefits of the cross. This is gonna shock a lot of Americans who think they're entitled to everything. It's not a right. Gifts must be received. Relationships are chosen. What about you? Is it time to come to the light? Can I tell you, I wanna end with a story. Because I, I don't wanna make this sound hard. I wanna end with a story that shows you what it looks like to discover that Jesus is the savior of the world. And then having seen it, to choose to either stay in the darkness or enter the light and worship him. Entering the light means admitting your sin, yes. He washes it away and you worship him. The other is you know the truth. And you go, nah, I love the darkness. Let me show you an example from the life of Jesus. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers. There's a welcome wagon for you. <laughs> Arms falling off, noses rotting, you know, hey, welcome to our town. <laughs> and they stood at a distance because no one wanted to touch him. No question about that. And they lifted up their voices. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. They had heard. That, the, that this guy had come and many thought he was Messiah. Everywhere he went, he healed people. And they said, let's all call out together. Maybe he'll heal us. They knew about Jesus. They knew enough to be healed. Come help us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Okay, okay, let's do what he says. What do we got to lose? And as they went, they were cleansed. Amazing moment, 10 guys walking along. I don't know if this is going to work. Whoa, hey, hey, Bill, your finger grew back. Oh, look at your nose. I'm breathing through the nostrils instead of the open part. Good. Stuff that was falling off ain't falling off. Yes. Yeah, that's the happy dance. I do the happy dance if you heal me of leprosy. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, weren't, weren't there 10 of you dudes? <laughs> One. <laughs> weren't there not 10 of you cleansed? I thought I healed 10. I'm pretty good at healing, and I'm good at math. Invented it. <laughs> Invented the Pythagorean theorem right here. <laughs> 10, healed, and yet there's, I'm counting, there's just one of you coming back. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Now, <laughs> there it is. We live in a nation, everybody knows Jesus. They know something about him. They at least know I mean, not everybody, but most everybody knows something about them. They don't care. They may pray a prayer one day because you told them, if you ask Jesus in your heart, all your sins go away, you won't go to hell. They're like, beat hell. 
But they never really worshipped him, so they never really were saved. <laughs> they just like to get out of their leprosy. They love sin. The nine of them were happy to be healed. The tenth one came back and fell down at his feet. Which one of those are you? If you were in America, <laughs> you've heard this story. Which one are you? I mean, really, don't, all of us think all of us are good here, so I'm not judging you. But in your heart of hearts, you know. Look what Jesus said to him, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. Well, weren't they all well? Jesus is saying there's another kind of wellness, a wellness of soul. And your faith, and it's the same thing today. It's by your faith that you're saved. It's by, it's by believing that this is true. And that leads to the worship response. You've heard the preaching of Isaiah. You've heard the angels declare to shepherds. You might even heard Linus tell it like I did. <laughs> Will you leave the dark? Will you worship the Savior? You're gonna need him. Forever and ever, you're gonna need him. What can I say? I could beg. I could beg. I'd beg. This is God. He made the universe. And he put on a diaper and he sat in the middle of it. So that he could grow up and die for you. You don't have a meaning in your life that's gonna beat that. You don't have a purpose to live that's gonna compare to that. You don't got nothing to live for besides that. And yet, what do you live for? You know what happened to you live for anything else? You'll die for nothing because you're living for nothing. It's all for Christ. And it all ends well. The choice is yours.